magic lies within the trails we ride. You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author whose mission is to help people achieve a deeper connection with their horses and therefore themselves and everyone around them through his transformational training program. Warwick offers a free seven-day trial to his comprehensive online video library that includes hundreds of full-length training videos and several home study courses at videos.warwickschiller.com. Just because you see G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and I'm so very excited to announce that uh, this is our first podcast after we announced that we had uh, a million downloads on our podcast and did the million download episode, uh, that we have a very, very special guest for this episode and the guest we have for this episode is none other than Heartland actress Amber Marshall. So Amber Marshall plays Amy Fleming on the TV show Heartland, which I imagine most of you horse people would have seen. It is the longest running TV series in Canada. It's been going for 15 years now. So Amber, uh, she's been riding since she could walk. She's a former vet assistant, was actually working as a vet assistant when she filmed the first uh, season of Heartland. And uh, now she's just a full-time actress, but she does volunteer at uh, vet clinics. So uh, a country girl at heart, a horse girl at heart, and um, has a great outlook on life and a great message for people to listen to. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this chat I had with the lovely Amber Marshall. Amber Marshall, welcome to the Journey on Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me on. This is this is very exciting. You are the most famous person we've ever had on the podcast before. So. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but thank you. Know, you. It's, yeah, uh, thanks for joining us. So it's funny, my friend Dan James went up to Canada here a while ago to work on Heartland, the show that you're on, to do some horse work on that. And uh, we had our, recently had our, our million, millionth download podcast or we had a million downloads coming up thank you and we thought well we need to get someone like super famous on here you know well i don't know if you found the right person but here Uh, i am (laughs) i think we did especially in the horse world but and so i thought well dan worked with amber on that thing i wonder if wonder if he could get her on here so i i contacted dan and he got me in contact with you and you were gracious enough to to say yes which was great and then i thought oh god i'm not really a I'm not really a Heartland um, watcher. Will she be disappointed? Um, and I'll tell you why I'm not a Heartland watcher. I, in non-COVID years, I travel. I do clinics all over the world. And so my wife stays at home and she binge watches a lot of shows while I'm gone. And so when I get back, she'll be watching her show and I'll see a few episodes of one and then I'll be gone again. So I don't, I don't really get a chance to go back to the start because she's not going to watch them with me all over again. And so I have seen, I had seen a few episodes of Heartland um, here and there. But then after you decided to go on, you agreed to go on the podcast. I'm like, well, I really should sit down and watch some. So I te- I texted Dan and I said, hey, what season are your horses in? And he said, oh, they're in season 15. So we get on, I think it was a Netflix. And the only thing we've got is season 13. And so I like, well, I'll watch this one. So I start watching this and I'm trying to think, what's the... What's the segue into this whole thing? Because, you know, I don't really know that much about you or whatever, and you probably don't know anything about me. And then the first episode I'm watching, you guys have a herd of wild horses and some some guy buys a ranch next door. 
and he wants to buy some of these wild horses and have you train them. And you say, well, this one's good and this one's good and this one's good. And he goes, no, no, I want that one over there. And you're like, oh, I don't think he's, he wants to play the game. And he's like, no, 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 I want you to that one and I will pay you as much money. I'll pay you double sort of thing. And you are, you're more about this is not, this, this is not that horse's job in life. This is not what that horse would want to do. And it's, I saw that and I thought, yeah, that's, that's what this journey on podcast is about, is, a, is about from going from, I want the damn horse to do what I want sort of thing. And somewhere along the way, we end up being a whole lot more empathetic to the horse and less about our expectations. And so, sorry, that was the first episode I watched. And I, oh. <laughs> I, got, that, I got that far and I'm like, I really don't need to watch anymore. That's, that's, for me, that's what it's all about. I thought that was so cool. Well, I'm glad that you did get to see that episode. And um, for me, I'm very much like you. I don't watch TV at all. So when people always say, oh, I'm so sorry, I haven't seen your show. And I was like, well, it doesn't offend me any. You know, I'm not a television watcher myself. And I, I actually encourage people not to sit and watch hours and hours of TV. So I would be a hypocrite if I said, no, sit down and watch the entire 15 seasons of Heartland. Um, but I do believe that the show that we're creating is a feel-good show. And it's a show that anyone can watch. It doesn't matter if you're two years old or 102 years old. There's going to be something there that, you know, you enjoy or that kind of piques your interest. And whether you're a horse person or not, I think that this show resonates with a lot of people because it's about that that human connection with animals and that human connection with one another. And just having that, I, I've feel like it's going back to what we've lost a lot of us you know that sit down every every night for dinner which I know is far and few between these days which saddens me and when I do hear about families that sit down every night together for dinner it makes me happy and I go that's exactly what we need more of and in the busy world of today you might not even be in the same room when you're watching tv you could have kids in the one bedroom on ipads and you know somebody else on their phone and somebody else watching a show uh, so for me, that's one of the things I love so much about Heartland and what we're creating is that it is a show that actually brings families together. You know, I've heard of lots of people that they'll watch the show and then they'll call up their grandparents and talk about the episode with them. And hearing those kind of stories, that that makes me proud of what we do and the fact that we actually do promote that family dynamic and being able to sit down together and either eat dinner or watch a show together. And um, and not only that, but just that idea of getting back to nature and getting outside and spending time with animals and the people that you love around you doing hard physical work too. I think that a lot of that is missing in today's society. Yeah, you know, that's what the, what the, you, you're talking about people watch it, watching it, sitting down, eating together, but also the content of the show. I mean, it's, yeah, there's a whole lot of, you know, there's the, the horse side of it. There's the beautiful scenery. Oh my goodness. It's so gorgeous up there. And then there's the, you know, the human drama side of the whole thing. Has it, cause I haven't watched all the seasons, has it gotten more complex since the beginning? Like are the, uh, the, um, you know, is the subject matter getting a bit deeper as it goes along? Um, I wouldn't say overall that it's 
it's changed its core values or its core idea of the show. The show has always been, I mean, it's a television show, so you have to capture people's attention somehow. It can't just all be about rainbows and unicorns. There needs to be some drama. There needs to be some grit. But a lot of people, especially nowadays who are watching Yellowstone, I don't know if you've ever seen Yellowstone, uh, but it's basically the same idea, family on a ranch, but it's more of the R-rated version. So it's intense. There's a lot of blood, guts, gore, swearing, all of those things that Heartland has been known to avoid or stay away from. And I think that it's it's easy watching for people too. I've had a lot of a lot of comments that people just enjoy sitting down after a stressful day, and it's a way for them to just de-stress. And I think that a show like Yellowstone, which I, I watch Yellowstone and I quite enjoy it, but it does the exact opposite. If you've had a stressful, busy day and then you come in and watch Yellowstone, all of a sudden your blood's pumping and you're like right jacked up before you go to bed. And that's not necessarily a good thing. So I find that Heartland is kind of like that breath of fresh air that if you've had a busy, hectic day or even if you haven't, you come in, you sit down and you can just enjoy and not worry about any content or anything that's going to get your heart racing. And there are a few storylines, you know, a a horse might almost fall off a cliff or we might have, there's a few things in there that, like I said, have to be creating that drama to keep people engaged. But for the most part, I feel like Heartland is a show that just helps settle your mind when so many of us have overactive, stimulated minds that don't shut off. Heartland's a way just to do that. And it's it's kind of a form of meditation to some people who just need to sit down, enjoy something and have themselves have their overactive brain entertained without all of that blood, guts and gore and everything else that comes with some of the other television series. I know that Heartland is a very successful series in its own right and has been for what's 15 years now, hasn't it? Do you know if the if the um, ratings have changed since since Yellowstone came out? Like because what I found from Yellowstone, it's it's one of the highest rated TVs on uh, shows on TV now, is that you know people from cities who know nothing about the Western lifestyle or ranching or whatever, they're watching it. Have, have you, has there been any crossover? Do you, do you know at all? There's there's definitely crossover, and I feel like yeah. a lot of people who enjoy Heartland enjoy Yellowstone for the same reasons that it's that ranch lifestyle. And I don't think it matters if you grow up in the country, the city, or what country you grow up in. Everyone is always drawn to that just kind of rural way of living. You know, that idea of being able to go out and do chores every day and have that physical labor and and be able to see the fruits of your labor, so to speak. And especially during the last two years when a lot of people in the cities have been confined or they feel like they don't have the freedom that they used to have or the activities to do because most of the things they enjoy, like going to the gym or going out and watch movies or whatever it might be, those have all been taken away from most people. And so now that idea of ranch living, of that hard working lifestyle is very appealing to a lot of people. And I have to say for myself, I I live on a farm. I have lots of animals. I have lots of chores to do every day. I haven't really felt that confinement ever because I still have lots to do in a day. I don't really go into the city anyway. So the things that have been limited, the gyms, the restaurants, all those things, I don't do anyway. So for me, it's just been I'm living my life as usual. And I don't think you can 
I don't think anyone in North America or maybe even the world can say that COVID hasn't affected them. I think it's touched everyone in some way or another. But I wouldn't say that it's affected me in a negative way. And I used to be very careful saying that, you know, I, people would say, how dare you? You know, COVID has has robbed me of everything and I lost my job and I lost loved ones or whatever it might be. And so I would usually just keep my mouth shut. But I feel like people need to hear that it's not all bad, right? It's not it's not everything that the news is telling you. You just have to learn how to live your life in ways that might be different than how you were living your life before. But for people who live in the country, I don't think that life has changed all that much. And if anything, it's almost given me a bit of an excuse to be home. And I'm sure you've found the same way as when you're always traveling and you're always going to these events and appearances, sometimes you just need a bit of a refresh. And for me, it was a full two years of, oh, your calendar's been wiped clean. <laughs> that was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it gave me a chance just to to realize what is important in life, to be able to focus just on myself and my animals and my husband and having time together. And that was far and few between before. So I have to say that the last two years have been really good to me. And like I said, I was, I've always been a little reluctant to say that out loud, but I do think that people need to hear that it's, it's not all bad. Yeah, I've been in the same boat. You know, we've we've been stuck, inverted commas, here at home with our animals on our place. And, you know, yeah, it hasn't been terrible at all. It's funny you said people, you know, you don't go to the gym. And uh, you, you didn't normally go into the city to go to the gym anyway. And, and Robin does, Robin says, Robin calls, my wife from name's Robin, she calls what you do cowgirl CrossFit. <laughs> Like we'll have to go out and unload a load of hay or move a bunch of heavy panels or whatever. And she goes, oh, I'm going to do some cowgirl CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, the whole code thing, it's been, I think it's been a big reset for a lot of the world. Like, um, you know, people have really, if they couldn't before, they realized that I can slow down and I should slow down and I, you know, I should pause and, and take a breath. You know, a lot of people have learned that they can work from home. So, mm-hmm. you know. A lot of people have moved out of, I think, out of bigger cities. Um, you know, I live, we live about an hour and a half south of San Francisco. We're in the bottom end of Silicon Valley. And, you know, the prices of places like mine, we've got six acres, you know, the prices of places like mine have just gone crazy in the last couple of years because people are, they haven't been commuting to work. And like, if I could actually have a couple of acres, I could have some animals for the kids or whatever, you know. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's been a big, it's been uh quite the big change you know I like you was probably pretty busy all the time and you know I've been married for 27 years now and the first probably the first not necessarily the first six months of COVID because my son was living at home then but then he moved to Hawaii probably the next six months after that it was actually a bit of a struggle for my wife and I because we actually hadn't spent that much time around each other like 24-7 sort of thing. And it actually kind of got ugly there for a while. Like a lot of a lot of old, you know, hidden stuff, stuff that we didn't hadn't talked about but didn't even really know about kind of came up. And it was actually good because then we, you know, you can get online counseling these days. So that was good. So we we found someone to talk to online and and now we're better than ever. So it was it was actually a, a good thing. You know, we were kind of probably stuck in a place we didn't know we were stuck. And then this whole COVID thing and getting thrown in together made us want to tear each other's hair out. And and then you, 
you know, do a bit of work and yeah, it's, it's great. So, you know, like, just like ups and downs, like you can't have the ups without the downs. And I think the, the downs are the preclude to the, the ups. So yeah, it's all, it's all been rather interesting, but let's talk about, let's talk about Amber Marshall. (laughs) You kind of have lucked into that. Well, it's not luck, but we'll talk about that, but you've kind of got yourself into the dream job. Whereas if I've done my homework, right. You've been a horse girl since you were little. You also wanted to act. You got into acting and were doing basically mainstream acting gigs, including a horror movie, which I can't picture, but anyway. And then you land this dream gig of playing a horse girl on a TV show. How how cool is that? It's it's still just a dream that I'm living in. And it's kind of funny how it came about too, because it, people talk about it's meant to be, or you were in the right place at the right time or, or whatever it might be. But, um, yeah, like you said, I was doing some acting all through high school and I was also working part-time at a vet clinic. So I was kind of, I had the animal side to me and I had the acting side of me and I was very lucky that my boss allowed me to to leave an afternoon to go for auditions and things like that, because some people wouldn't be so understanding, you know, okay, you go follow your dreams type thing, but I need you here at five o'clock. So I was very fortunate to work in a space where if I had an audition the next day, my boss was like, yep, you go, you go do it. We'll figure it out. And so that's kind of how I was balancing my high school time. And then right out of high school, I decided to take a year off to figure out really what I wanted to do because I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. I didn't have the grades to be a veterinarian. I was like, oh, do I do some more schooling? Do I go become a vet tech? What's what's the balance here? But I also loved acting and I was doing that on the side. And so I decided to take a year off and I was working full time at this point in the vet clinic. And I was also going driving three hours to auditions to Toronto because I'm from London, Ontario, and it's about a three hour drive to the main hub in Toronto where all the auditions were. So I was balancing this and spending six hours a few times a week to drive to Toronto and back for auditions. And I had booked this small role on a pilot show that never became of anything. There's lots of different shows that they give it a go. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So I was in Ottawa filming this show called Saunders Farm. And don't let the name fool you. It wasn't really anything to do with a farm. It was just some kids that lived out in the country. And I got a call from my agent and he said, there's this show called Heartland that's been auditioning for a month now. You were tied up, you were busy. So I didn't put you out for any of the auditions, but they're still looking to cast their lead role. They've cast everyone else in the show, they're waiting to find this person and they're really hoping that this character can ride horses in real life. And so he said, I want you to put something on tape. And I'm like, well, I'm in Ottawa. I don't really have a means to do this because this was before phone cameras and all that kind of thing. Um, we're talking 16 years ago now. <laughs> uh, so I said, OK, so I jumped on a train, went from Ottawa back to my hometown of London, and he had faxed over the the scenes for me to do while I was still there. I printed them out. I memorized them while I was on the train heading back home. As soon as I got back home, I set up my little camcorder in my bedroom and um, I had my dad read the other lines and I recorded this and they said, we need it tomorrow morning, like ASAP. Well, there was no such thing as me being able to take my, I did it on VHS. So this was now on a VHS tape. I couldn't just put that in the mail and get it there the next day. So I took it downtown. I had them put the VHS onto an emailable file. 
<laughs> and they sent the email. They received it the next day. And this is the directors and the producers who have casted everyone else for the show. They're still waiting. We're going to go to camera in a few days. This is how tight it was. Wow. And they were holding out, holding out. They get this file and they still laugh to this day because they said when it opened up the email file, the video was about this big. You know, it was just a couple inches by a couple inches on their screen. And there's, they said there was about five of them all huddled around this computer screen watching. But there was something about my video that they loved. And I don't know from this day what they got from that. But I started off my audition by saying, hi, I'm Amber Marshall. I have two horses. I love to ride. And they said right then and there, we were like, okay this this girl will work. <laughs> so within two days, I packed my bags, flew to Calgary where the show was filmed. We filmed the pilot and it was minus 25 that whole week. And I remember just being so excited and so happy to be there. I didn't even know how cold it was. We had several scenes that were filmed outside in the evening, minus 25. And everyone was complaining about how cold it was. And I'm like, it's cold out? Like my adrenaline was just going. And I think that that was the moment in my entire life where I was like, this is incredible. This is what I want to do. But of course, in the world of acting, you never know. Nothing's a sure thing, right? You don't know if that's going to go any further than the pilot episode because I'd just been through that experience with another pilot. So I had an amazing two weeks. We filmed the pilot episode, which was episode one of Heartland. And then I forgot all about it. I said, I don't want to. I'm one of those people that I don't count on anything. I'm just like, that was an amazing experience. And I'm done. <laughs> and that's how I that's how I looked at it. I did not ever imagine that we would be here 15 years later. I didn't even imagine that we would get a first season. So it was one of those things that I valued every single moment of those two weeks. And I came home, I started working at the vet clinic again. I was like, that was really cool. I learned so many things. I met so many people. I visited a place that I felt so at home in because I had never been west of Ontario in Canada oh, wow. before. So this was the first time and I was away from home. I was 18 years old. I was like, that was an amazing experience. And then I just started going on with my life again, because in my mind, I was like, well, it's over and done. That was a pilot. It's done. And so I decided that I enjoyed that so much. I wanted to sign up for the film and television program in the University of Ryerson in Toronto. And so I was like, OK, I've taken a year off. I've decided what I want to do. So I put my application in. I was accepted to Ryerson. I was going to take the film and television program. I was ready to go. I paid my first part of my tuition. And then I get a phone call. And they said, Amber, Heartland has been picked up. You're going to fly out and do the first season of Heartland. So I looked at my parents and I said, well, forget that tuition. I'm going to learn a lot more in this first season of Heartland than I probably would in my first year of school. And it was an opportunity of a lifetime. So I said, OK, I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to fly out to Alberta. We did the first season. And again, my same thoughts. I came back home. I started working at the vet clinic again. I was like, that was a great chapter in my life. It's done. And then the cycle went on and on and on where I got the call. We're back for season two. We're back for season three. And by season three, I had fully fallen in love with Alberta. I just, the people, the scenery, the animals, the, the availability of everything that I loved to do was right in my backyard. And so I made a decision season three that I was going to move full time to Alberta because before then I had been doing six months filming the show and then I would go back to Ontario for six months and kind of pick up my old lifestyle and just start from where I left off. But I always described it as if you take a piece of 
white printer paper and you crumple it up in a ball, you can never flatten it out perfectly again. So every time I left Ontario and went out to Alberta, I would crumple up my Ontario ball. And then I would spend the entire six months when I got back trying to flatten it out and trying to start from where I was again and trying to realize, okay, but this isn't the same piece of paper as it was before. But that was the beauty of it. It's not the same piece of paper. And I had to learn that lesson. And I finally decided if I'm going to start my life, I was now in my early 20s, and I am going to progress and, and be something that I've always dreamed of, I need to commit. I need to dive in with both feet. So I was 20, yeah, I was 20 years old when I moved out to Alberta full time. Um, I started by renting an acreage just outside of the area where we filmed Heartland. And then a year later, I bought my first acreage and had horses and cows and chickens and cats and rabbits and peacocks and just about everything you could imagine. And I was like, this, this is what I want to build. This makes me feel good. And I didn't care if Heartland went another year or another 10 years or whatever it was, I knew that this is where I wanted to start building my life again. So it was just kind of that that momentum of knowing that if you keep going back to where you started, you're never going to get to where you want to be. You have to keep moving forward. And that meant for me, picking up my life and, and committing to living in a certain place and, and just building upon that. You know, there's a saying Leaving and coming back is not the same as never having left. Mm -hmm. And it's because the experiences you have when you go somewhere else change who you are so you no longer perceive where you came from. The same, You know, you touched on a lot of things in there that a lot of the podcast guests that I've had have touched on too. And one of, one of the things that all my podcast guests I think have been really good at of being saying, good at saying yes to opportunities that arise. Mm -hmm. And you just said right there, like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into this with both feet. And then there's something else that you said. One of my previous podcast guests is a friend of mine from Wales and she is like a, um, she's a Welsh sheep farmer's wife, but she does this energy healing stuff. Like all the old farmers around there with their, you know, arthritic elbows, she comes and puts her hands on them and does whatever she does with them. But she says, she's really big on manifesting. And she says, there's three rules to it. Intention, attention, no tension. And most people are good at the intention. I'm going to put the intention out there. I want this to happen. And the attention. So paying attention to when things are going to happen. But the no tension, the part where you go, hmm. And you just surrender, basically. Most people have a hard time with that. Whereas that's, you seem to be really good at that to where you go, Hey, I did that. And so you're almost like me. I have a, I don't have a bucket list. I have a reverse bucket list. So a bucket list, you write out these expectations you want to have. And if they're not met, you have disappointment. I have a reverse bucket list to where I don't have a bucket list, but when things come along that are amazing and they're like bucket list type experiences, I just write them on my bucket list. And then I only have gratitude for having had them. There's, there's none of the Oh God, that didn't, you know, there's nothing to check off. It's just like you, I love that. You're, you're open and you're welcome. You're open to that's, things that's happening. And you know, people always ask me, oh, where did you learn that? Or were you brought up that way? And of course I owe a lot to my parents, but I don't know that there was a specific moment where I learned it. It was just sort of always there that it was like, don't look for failure or don't like just, just live your life. 
And when opportunities present themselves, grab them. And I've never been one to let opportunities just, oh, that's not for me. Anything that rolls across my lap, I'm like, yeah, let's try it. I don't care what it is. I'm just like, let's do it. And I might not like it. That's fine. I've tried it. I know I don't like it. But I've never been someone who is just staring and waiting to grasp on to things, right? It's not like I'm like, oh, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. I'm just, I'm very passive in my approach approach to, I guess, opportunities, right? It's like I'm never, if a door opens, I'm going to walk through it. You can bet your boots I will walk through that door because I want to see what's on the other side. But if it doesn't open, that's okay too, right? I'll just walk to the next one until another one opens. So I would say that I've always just kind of lived my life in the moment. And anything that, that comes my way, I'm like, yep, I'm all for it. Let's do it. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But that's fine too. And I think that the, some of the things that we don't do teach us more. Because we know, okay, well, that's an opportunity that... I might not have had, but because I didn't have that opportunity, I got this one. And this one taught me a whole heck of a lot more. So there's some things I think in our lives that are meant to not be. You know, if I had have gone to Ryerson University and studied film and television, I wouldn't have been able to move out to Alberta and I wouldn't have the life that I have here. I would have had a different life and a different experience and it could have been wonderful. But that's an opportunity I didn't do that actually allowed me to be where I am now. So I think a lot of people get hung up on things, missed opportunities or things that they didn't do, which in my mind, those are just reasons to propel you to other things that might be more suited. Yeah, and, and, and especially things that, or things that happened that, that at the time seemed like they were bad. You know, for me, looking back, everything that bad that ever happened was the doorway into something so much better. But yeah, I think that's a, you know, you said, people said, did you, you know, were you born this way? Was it the way your parents did things? You know, my two older brothers are married with two kids each and live in the same little country town in Australia that, that I grew up in. So it's, yeah, I don't know if, I don't think it was, um, you know, it might be more nature versus nurture in that case. I'm not sure, but yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm wired a little differently than they are. And I would agree with that with because I have a younger brother and he's very much a homebody and he just lives a few blocks from where he grew up. He was born in the same house that my dad still lives in uh, and he's just down the road now. I thought he was going to actually just stay with my dad forever. <laughs> um, it's one of those things that I think that we are all hardwired differently and the thought of trying to change somebody's ways is not something you can do externally. I think that if someone wants to change, they have to do it internally. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you're with someone who has different values or ideas than you, you're not going to change them. And in fact, by, and this is just my own opinion, but by pushing them to become someone different, I think you're only going to push them further in the way that they are because they're going to kind of get their back up and shut down. So I think that we are all made up differently. It doesn't matter how you were raised or, or, the environment that you lived in, um, it that definitely tends to to create some parts and qualities of you for sure. But I think that right down in our core, we're born with that. And and we and that's not to say that people can't change, because I do 100% believe that people can change. But that has to come from within. That can't come from your environment. That can't come from people around you saying, "Oh, you need to be more like this," or "You need to be more like that." 
Um, and some people are just too stubborn to look past that too. So I think that you, you have to have an openness and you have to be able to recognize that you want a different path or you want a different life or you want different friends or, or a different environment in order to move towards that. Yeah, and I think sometimes you need to have a bit of a push too, you know, like, I don't know how much you know about me, but, you know, I was a horse trainer for a long time and about seven years ago, my wife bought a horse that nothing I had did with, nothing I'd done before could help this horse, could help this horse be the horse I would like, I would want him to be sort of thing. Um, And he kind of made me step back and go, well, what else is there? And that had led me down a whole another path, which is, you know, kind of like the path that's in that scene from the, the start of season 13, where I want the damn horse to do what I want to do. Now I'm more concerned about how the horse feels about what he does. And but you couldn't have talked me into that. You know, I had to discover that for myself. But what you're talking about there about partners trying to tell the other one how to do things, you see it a lot in the horse world, whereas someone who does things a certain way and they think their way is better than somebody else, tend to think that yelling at them and telling them that you're doing it wrong, you've got to do it my way, is going to make them change. Even and In many cases, the way they're trying to advocate is a much better way, but the other people aren't ready to hear it. But the thing is, telling them they're wrong and how bad they are and how mean and nasty they are and all that sort of stuff, only you know, it only causes them to be alienated even further than they were before. And the message doesn't get across. I always tell people, you know, planting a seed, don't, don't, under, under, don't underestimate the value of planting a seed in those, you know, those kind of situations. I'm talking about horse training here. But. Mm-hmm. Oh, I use that expression quite often, actually. I do. Because um, I, I do believe in that idea 100% with relationships with people around you, whether it be human or animal. It's, suggesting. I always say planting the seed and then retreating. You don't need to be hammering it into the ground, right? It's like you just want to let it flourish on its own because those plants or whatever metaphor we're using are going to be way stronger than if you're always there and hovering and you need to do this, you need to be this way. And I I 100% agree. You know, there's a lot of people in my life that I... I've given suggestions to that I feel maybe aren't ready to be told something. But if the idea is there, they might be able to start working it on them themselves. And I think that that's so important with, with people, with animals, whatever it might be. It's just the suggestions. It's like, I don't have all the answers. I don't have, and I definitely don't have all the answers for you. Because if I don't have all the answers for me, then I can't go and tell you what to do. And I think that that's, that's such an interesting concept is that, People think they know what's best for other people, but until you walk in their shoes, until you are that person, you don't know what's best for them. And so I, th- I do a lot of observing. I'm, I just, I love watching people. I love watching animals. I love just being able to take it all in and say, ah, I see what they did there. That's interesting. I, that's, I'm going to try that approach one time. And to just know that everybody is hardwired differently and the, and the, the way, and I don't know if it's magnetism or what it is, but there's a certain thing, feeling, let's call it energy, um, that certain people put out and other people are 
are gravitated towards that. Whereas there's another energy out there that people put out that other people repel from. And you can see it plain as day. I know that you can too, because you're very in tune with that kind of thing. But a lot of people put blinders on and it's this whole idea of, no, I don't judge anyone. I judge lots of people. I don't judge them in some of the reasons that other people think are what people judge from. (laughs) I judge energies, you know, and I can see it instantly. If someone has that energy that is pushing people away, it pushes me away too. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be sucked into that. And the opposite, if energies are pulling people in and they want to be around that person and they want to smile and there's just this this energy that is so positive, then I gravitate towards that. And it doesn't have to be people. It can be animals too. There's some horses that I love to be around and there's some horses I don't want to have anything to do with. I'm like, nope, nope. My energy does not match with your energy. And I'm not a horse trainer. I've had horses all my life, but I am in no way a horse trainer, but I'm a horse observer. And I love to just watch my, I've got nine horses of my own here and they all kind of do their own thing. And um, I love watching the energies. And there's some horses that I have in my field that I'll go out and I'll just sit on the fence and they come over and they'll put their head beside me and I'll just sit there and, you know, pet them and be with them. And I want to be with them. And there's some horses that I'm like, nope, nope, you go over there. Like, I don't want, I don't want you in my space right now. I'm not at the right um, frame of mind or the right energy to match your energy right now. And that doesn't mean it's all the time. It's just certain feelings, right? It's like, if I'm in this headspace, I want to be with something that presents this energy. Or if I'm in this headspace, I want to be something that presents this energy. And I think that so many people around us or animals around us build us up in different ways, but it's it's constantly changing. And I gravitate towards people and animals that have that matched energy for what I'm feeling in that moment. So I think that's really important for people to recognize, too. It's like, and, you know, you shared with me that you had all of a sudden you were at home and you and your wife were like, what are we're, what are we doing? You know, we haven't been in this space together. And so all of a sudden your energies weren't matching. And for me, I'm not trying to give you a counseling lesson here. I'm just going back into this, but it's that idea of if you're not on the same page, you're going to butt heads and learning how to open yourself up to be in that space with that person or with that animal is something that is, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I think that it's so important for any type of connection, whether that is with horses, whether that is with people. Um, So there's so much to learn, which is what I I find fascinating about observing because you're always learning. And um, that's just, that's something that, that I, it brings me um, just comfort being able to be open and and understand and try to figure situations out that I might not understand. You know, it's interesting you're talking about people's energies and energies you're attracted to there and stuff. And before we started the podcast today, I, I we were talking and I said, I don't know if you've even listened to my podcast. And you said, I've listened to a couple. And I said, which ones? And you said, oh, I listened to Josh Nickel and, and Jonathan Field, probably because they're Canadian and you're a little biased towards the Canadians there. That's but it, yes. <laughs> both, of those, both of those guys have the most amazing energy. <clears throat> you know, like jo- uh, Josh, his energy talking to him through the screen like this was just, it well, was amazing. And you've met I've Jonathan Phil before, haven't you? I've met Jonathan, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, but and as a doesn't listener, Jonathan I have that. The, yeah, and, and you've met Jonathan. Doesn't Jonathan have this vibe about him? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's just that, that, and same, same with Josh, it's that they have this, Jonathan's more of a, his energy is just so calm that you mm-hmm. cannot help but match that. You can't like, I don't, I don't imagine anyone ever having an argument with Jonathan Field. You know, you just, he's, he never would match that energy to a point where you couldn't raise your energy up. And, uh, Josh just has this very excitable quality to him, but it's still very grounded. You know, it's this, he's just, he's like a puppy going around going, that life is amazing. I just love everything. Um, but at the same time, there is this, this groundedness to it. Mm. which I think both those two gentlemen have figured it out. You know, they, and none of us have figured it out, but I say that in a sense that they are so in tune with their own energy and how others react to that, that I think that's what allows them to do what they do with horses because they, they have that balance figured out so well. And horses are so in tune. They're way more in tune than any human will ever be. And so when you can, can learn how to, to, understand and shape your own energy then that goes a long way when working with animals too yeah i've you know like i said about that horse that my wife got seven years ago you know that kind of led me down a like a personal growth kind of a journey and you know looking inward quite a bit more than i had done and what i found was i my energy completely changed around horses instead of me being the teacher i'm going to show up and i'm going to teach this horse something it was more open and it was more and more of a an empathetic connected listening sort of energy and it got to where the horses acting completely like people would have a you know like at a clinic or a horse expo or whatever someone's got a horse on the ground and it's pushing all over them and it's all over the place and they, I would ask them to hand me the lead rope and I'll show you what I would do with this particular horse. And in the past, I would have to do something with that horse. And for a few years now, like they'll, a lot of times I'll hand me the lead rope and those horses just, and that didn't happen before. So, you know, if you've always had it, you probably don't notice it as much, but I, I, not very many years ago, remember that not happening. So to see that happening, it's, it's really got me all excited about energy you know about how your energy affects your horse and and the people around you like you're just saying Mm -hmm. yeah I'm a big believer in that and I feel like there's there's a lot of um especially during and I don't mean to talk about COVID but during these last two years a lot of energy has changed and that's because people are out of their element for what they're used to you know they they may have a routine they may wake up go to the gym, go to work, whatever that routine might be, it's been completely displaced. And so now their energy is like all up in the air. They don't know what to do. Um, And I, this may not be the best analogy, but I refer to it as a dog in a crate. So many people, they've been confined, they've been locked up and you take the friendliest dog and you lock it up in a crate and that's, it has no outlet. It can't get out. It's in the crate for two weeks. If you go and let that dog out of the crate, it's going to be completely changed. And that's what I feel a lot of people are experiencing right now is that they've been told, no, you can't go out. You can't go do this. You can't, all those things you used to love to do. Nope. You're not allowed to do them. And as humans, as any creature being, we all of a sudden go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why? What's, and we, we kind of just adapt the model of fear. We get our backs up. We get, well, why? You know, when you don't know the answer to something, all of a sudden you go into defense mode. 
And I think that so many people are way more irritable these days. And I've noticed it online because I have, you know, a lot of um, social media followers and people who comment on a regular basis that I've noticed a change in some people. And I, I completely result that to their situation and they might feel trapped. They might feel um, more stressed than usual. And when anxiety is high, then that energy is not, it's not a, a loving energy in any way. When you're anxious about something, it's the same with horses. When they're anxious, all of a sudden they don't think rationally. They don't reason through things. It's just all of a sudden that, that flight mode, like, well, nope, I'm done. I've checked out. And I believe that a lot of people have done the same. And so it's interesting for me when I'm out and when I do go into town, which is very rarely, um, and I see people and how their space has changed, that bubble around them. They don't want you in their space. They're not comfortable with it because they haven't experienced that as much as they used to. And so now all of a sudden, if you're standing too close or you walk by or it's this instant the shoulders go up, they back up They're, You know, it's, and where we are, we still, we have to wear masks everywhere we go. Um, so it's this really strange disconnect because humans, they use facial expressions to know where you stand. And all of a sudden that's been stripped away. So now it's the body language and the body language is tense. And it's, for me, it makes me uncomfortable. And it's interesting how that little kind of ripple effect happens. And in a society where you get maybe a little bit more nervousness or anxiety, it kind of fills the room, right? It spreads. It's one of those things that it just happens to take over. Whereas the opposite, if you walk in a room and you're smiling and you're just enjoying that moment, others around you can't help but do the same. And so I've been really trying hard um, when I go to places to smile. And I've been, you know, whether you have to wear a mask or not, I've been trying to show my smile as much as I can. And, um, and just creating that environment that I feel like has these last two years, we have been stripped from that. And um, it's, it's not a healthy place to be. And a lot of people are really feeling that direct result. And like we discussed earlier, I'm so lucky that I'm not really affected by that, because most of my days, I'm just out you know, wandering the fields with my animals and they're still smiling at me. So (laughs) it's just one of those things that I'm very fortunate for the life I live. But I do recognize that that's not the life that everybody has. And it, it can become a very dark environment when you're kind of trapped in that anxiety or trapped in that, that heaviness of being locked up. Yeah. I think anybody who had some anxiety before probably has a bit more, a bit more now. Um, I wanted to segue into something you just said a minute ago because I I actually have questions for you, not questions like, hey, I want to share these with the listeners, like questions I want to know the answers to. Do you do your own social media stuff? I do. Yeah. So that's one thing years ago. um, And and let's, let's just remember how different a world it is now than it was 16 years ago when Heartland started. When Heartland first started, I didn't even have Facebook or any of that. Everything was just emailing. And if you enjoyed the show, you would write a letter um, and put it in the mail. (laughs) And so over the years, it's been changing so rapidly to the point where I can't even keep up now. There's people on TikTok and Twitter and all these things that I, I don't need to get involved with. But I found I wanted to be my own voice. And I didn't want somebody else to be recreating an environment that was supposed to be mine. 
And so I decided early on, I started with Facebook. I opened up my own Facebook account. I was completely hands-on with that. I would answer as many questions as I could. It became very time-consuming. Simultaneous Mm -hmm. to that, I started Instagram. And I quite enjoyed Instagram as a platform a lot better because it was more visual. And I'm a very visual person. I would rather, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. I would rather post a photo and just let that resonate as opposed to going on and saying, you know, hey, here's my post of the day type thing. And you can use both platforms however you like. And I guess many people use Facebook like that. But for me, I was like, I want to create an environment that is true to how I live. I'm not a selfie taker. I'm not a, oh, look at me eating my chocolate pie. I, I just want an experience for people that is very similar to the experiences I have. And so with Instagram, and I'm a little more hands-off with Facebook now, um, but all my Instagram posts just get directly posted to Facebook, so it's in both platforms. Uh, but Instagram I really enjoy because it's like, okay, look at look at this, guys. You know, here I am sitting out on my fence, and this is what I see. It's not about, oh, look at me in this environment. It's why don't you take your... Um, experiences and live through this moment for a minute. Like, here, let me show you a glimpse into my life. This is what is around me. This is why I feel the way I do. And I, that's just, yeah, I, I guess I'm getting off a little uh, far from the question. But yes, I manage my own social media because I want the experience that people have visiting my social media pages to be as close to the experience that I'm having at the time. And that's just kind of where I, I decided that that was, if I'm going to have those platforms, I want to be, and I do have help. There's, I definitely um, have people that help me on Twitter because I'm not that Twitter person and things like that. But my Instagram is 100% me. I'm the only one that has access to it. And I just, I feel like that is, that's, that's me. That's me sharing what my life is like with those who want a, a little glimpse into that world. Does it? Like, does it ever become overwhelming? Because I've, you know, I, I have a very small uh, group of people that follow what I do. You would have a much larger group of people follow what you do, but I sometimes get overwhelmed with it all. Does it, does it ever drag you down? Yes. And I think that social media is something that you need to learn and understand the boundaries before you dive in. And I, I've learned, I've been on my own social media for 12, 13 years. Um, So I've gradually learned this as my following has built. So it's not like all of a sudden it was, okay, you have a million followers and go. (laughs) It's more been the gradual learning experience. And when I only had, you know, a few hundred followers, it was easy for me to get back to everyone. It was, oh, there's a comment here, there's a comment here. But when you get up into the hundreds of thousands and you get so many comments each day, it's learning how to be present, but not overwhelmingly so. So I try to post when I feel like posting. I never feel um, obligated to post. So it's not like I'm like every day at nine o'clock, I got to get a post. Oh no, I don't have a picture. What am I going to do? I got to, I'm not that person. I will post when I feel like posting. If I see something that catches my interest and that I think brings me a smile, then I take a picture of it and I post it because if it makes me smile, it might make someone else smile. And so that's how I've 
I've positioned my social media is that it is not social media isn't a business for me like it is for a lot of people. I use it just to post the things that I enjoy and not on a timeline. Whenever I feel like posting them, I'll post them. And I think, too, that's one of the things during the last couple of years that people have really resonated with because there was a whole lot of negativity. There was a lot of um, a lot of people that were watching the news felt anxiety from doing so. And so I decided I started doing just these fun weather reports for my area. And of course, most of the people that are watching these weather reports live thousands of miles away from me. But it was my way of just being like, hey, guys, the sun's out. I'm just enjoying the day. Like, it's a beautiful day here in Alberta. And things like that, that I was living in the moment, I'm enjoying that moment, and I wanted others to enjoy it with me. And little things like that, that bring me joy because I see that people are like, oh, you know, I loved your weather report. It's raining here, but I watched your video of the sunshine and it just brought me a smile. And little things like that, that I feel just kind of lift people up in a time when everyone's being so suppressed. It's like, no, you can't feel that way. You can't do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. I just wanted to offer a little bit of light. And that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed with social media is that it gives me a platform to do that, to reach so many people. When before, the only way I would be able to reach people is through Heartland or through the things that I, I do in the public. But this is a way that's my own, that I can I can create that energy, right? I can I can push that out to hundreds of thousands of people. And just doing that, that makes me smile too. So I think that there's ways that we can connect with people that lift us up as well when we're lifting other people. How do you how do you handle negativity in social media like negativity in your social media space? It can be hard. And Mm. I think that you have to separate yourself in certain ways from the things that are being written to reality. And there's a lot of things that I'll read. I'm like, I cannot believe someone actually thinks that or actually would, would put that out there. But then I realize the place it's coming from. And the place it's coming from is probably that what we were talking about before, that that caged anxiety, that idea of someone who's not balanced inside, someone who doesn't know how to release the things that they're feeling. So I've turned it into a way that it's like, okay, if, if I am that person that you need to release your anger to, I will gladly be that person. Because there are so many other amazing comments on social media that lift me up. So when there's that negativity, it's like, okay, I can take it. I can take it. Whereas some of the other people in their lives might not be able to take that negativity. So if I can absorb that for them, then that's a way just to to let it release. And that's kind of how I've dealt with it. I don't take things personally anymore. I used to, for sure. When I would read things, I'm like, oh, that's awful. I need to change. (laughs) But then I started to realize that, no, it's not necessarily directed at me. I mean, that's who they're directing at in this moment, but that's because I am the outlet for them. So I don't know. I I think that there's always going to be that fine line of balance because as humans, we are sensitive. And when we read something, it's like, oh my goodness, why, why would someone think that about me? Going back to that judgment that I mentioned before. But I think that judgment's not a bad thing. And sometimes people just need to release. They need to get it out there. And I... I'm not going to say that not every comment just 
brushes off my back because there's some things that I do take to heart and I say, that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious as to where that thought came from, but I'm at a point now where I'm like, okay, we'll just, we'll just let it go. If you are loving the journey on podcast with Warwick, we know you'll benefit greatly from his online video library. Showing footage of real-time training sessions, you will learn how to approach situations with your own horse in an empathetic and effective way. The video library has been life-changing for tens of thousands of people and horses all over the world. Warwick invites you to check out the seven-day free trial at videos.warwickshiller.com. Do you know who Jay Shetty is? No. He's a British guy. He was born in London, I think. He's of Indian descent, East Indian descent, um, but he ended up becoming a Buddhist monk, went to Tibet, and now he lives in LA. And he's, he's like an influencer guy, but I shared a post on um, or a little clip of him on Facebook yesterday, and he was being interviewed, kind of like this, and, and the interviewer said, tell me something that I think it was that doesn't bother you that bothers other people. And he said, hang on, I'll turn it down. He said, it's probably being understood. I'm okay with being misunderstood. He said, I think it's reality. I just don't think you'll be ever understood by everybody and it's okay. I don't value being misunderstood like I used to. Like he he doesn't get bothered by being misunderstood because he's got a message he's putting out there. Mm-hmm. And I read it and the, the, the guy that he was interviewing said, oh, that's a superpower. Like being able to be totally under, totally, when you're in a public space, being totally good with people misunderstanding you. And, and like, I, I saw that yesterday, that was like a slap in the face because I'm like, yeah, I got to let, I got to let go of, because I too have a message, you know, I'm, I'm. I'm on a path with what I'm doing with the horses that I think when you do this sort of stuff, it influences who you are, not just what you do with horses, it influences who you are, how you show up in the world. And so I'm kind of passionate about that. But you do get all sorts of negative comments and not a lot, but you know, it's stupid. You'll get, I've recently put up a video of me and one of my horses, just videoed on the phone. It's been up for four or five days and it's had, I don't know, it's a hundred something, 120 something thousand views and it's about connecting with horses. It's not a, hey, you look at me um, and it's not a funny video. Like, like my dog jumps up on the horse and I put that up, that gets 120,000 views pretty quick. But educational, especially intellectual educational videos don't get many views. And this has got 120,000 views in several days. So people are really resonating with it, but someone posted somewhere else about it and like something negative about it. And all of a sudden I'm getting, Oh, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Or maybe, uh, you know what I mean? It's just Mm -hmm. like this 120,000 people think it's great. One person thinks it's bad. And then I'm going to focus on that. Now I, I, I personally struggle with that, but I do know that, or I'll get into petty arguments about things like that, you know? Um, and I do, I do understand that as soon as I notice I'm doing that, I'm like, okay, your mental health is deteriorating here a little bit. You need to, you need to just 
have a bit of a think about what you're doing, you know. It's I, I find it I find it hard. That's why I'm asking you because I don't get to talk to too many people who have a large audience and and know how to to work through that stuff. Well, it's human nature. We don't want to be told we're doing something wrong. I don't think anyone wants to be told that. And as soon as someone criticizes the way that you're living your life or sharing an experience or working with a horse, then all of a sudden you instantly question if what you're doing is right. And like you said, there could be a thousand video or a thousand comments of people saying, yeah, that's amazing. I love what you're doing. And there could be one comment that says, you know, why would you do it that way? That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And instantly your brain goes, is it? Is it, Tom? And it's, it is hard to get past that. I'm not saying that I am past that. But I have really learned to work on the feeling I get when I read negative comments because mm. that's just that negativity pushing its way into my energy. And I don't need that. That's, that's, I don't want to take, I will accept what you've written and move past it, but I'm not going to let it consume me because there's so many other positive comments there that are, are lifting me up. I don't need to let one of them push me down. And I also believe that the stronger your message, the stronger the feedback. So if you're pushing an idea that, you know, if you're just out sitting on a fence post and you post a video of, oh, look at my horses grazing, isn't it wonderful? You're probably not going to get anyone saying anything negative about that. But if you say, I'm going to halt to break this horse this way and this is the way it's going to be done, you're going to get people that say, I don't believe that that is the way it should be done. So that's where I've positioned my platform too, is I don't, I'm not, I'm not a trainer. I'm not someone to preach my way of living. I'm just someone who shares my experiences. And it's really hard for people to take that negatively because I'm not saying, uh, Mr. Scheller, you should be uh, going outside more and drinking more vitamin C and you should be doing that. And you'd be like, well, I think I'm good. I'm okay. But if I just say, look at this, isn't this beautiful? What can you say to that other than, yeah, it is. <laughs> so I think that the way that you approach things is how you're going to receive that that energy from someone else. And so I've chosen, and this is just by way of, of who I am, but I've just chosen to create an environment that's not preaching, not teaching, not, I'm just sharing my experiences. And if people want to take something from that, then that's their choice. If they want to say, oh, Amber went on a ride today. I'm going to go and get my horse and go for a ride. That's their own choice. But I'm not saying it's a nice day. You better be riding. It's just something that by sharing my experiences, I hope that that can lift other people up. And I hope that they can take something from that. And even if that's just smiling at a stranger or or something that is just very, um, you know, non, non-consuming, non-just living their life in a positive way. And that's, that's the message that I always try to, I'm not going to say preach, but I always try to explore with other people because I want them to see that it's not about, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. It's about how does this make you feel? If this makes you feel good, then go towards that. If this makes you feel bad, then you need to distance yourself from that feeling because that's your body telling you, I don't want to do this. So that's what I always say too, is if people are not enjoying the content I'm putting up, then unfollow me. You know, that doesn't hurt my feelings. It just doesn't resonate with that person. So if you don't like that I posted a picture of me on set, that's fine. Not everyone's going to enjoy that. But 
then maybe find a different outlet that you gravitate towards or, or makes you happy. And we're not all the same. We're not going to like the same things. So that's where I kind of take that, that negativity. And it's like, if this is not for you, that's fine. Water off a duck's back. It doesn't bother me. But you need to find something that makes you happy, that makes you want to leave a positive comment. Because if you're wanting to leave a negative comment, then this isn't the right space for you. And you need to look inside and reach out and find the right space that actually makes you feel like, yes, I agree. I want to leave a nice comment as opposed to the opposite. Because if, you're, if your brain is telling you that you need to write something negative, you're not in the right space. So that's kind of how I've dealt with it is that people are all on their own journey and they need to figure this out as they go. And by the negativity that presents itself, I'm just here to say, okay, that's fine, but this isn't the right space for you. You need to go out and find something that makes you happy. Thank you. I think you've just helped me a great deal right there. I like what you said, it's probably 10 minutes ago now, when you said about when someone feels the need to have this negative outlet, you'll, you'll be the sounding board for that. Like, you know, you'll go, okay, that's where you're at. That's where they are at at the moment. Let them get it off their chest. You don't have to buy into it or anything, but like you'll allow them to do that. I think that was, that was very cool. I learned something, man. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, You know what I might do? I might get started on your, on your questions. I normally leave the questions till a bit later, but I think I, I've found in the I past. I like to talk a lot. <laughs> no, I <laughs> found it might the, take a while. <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, I found in the past that a lot of times, by the time we get to the questions, with good speakers like yourself, you would have covered a lot of the, a lot of the content. So the first question that you chose is, what do you do to relieve stress or recharge your batteries, or where do you find inspiration or motivation for what you do? Mm-hmm. And I very much feel like you are a product of your environment. And so for myself, I live in the foothills of the Alberta Rocky Mountains. I live in one of the most beautiful places in the world, in my opinion. Can you see and the mountains from I'm your here. house? Mm-hmm. Not right from my house, because that's another thing is when you can see the mountains from your house, you get a whole lot of wind. And I said, I want to be able to ride and see the mountains because that gives me a destination. That gives me kind of that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I don't need to see them from my house. I know they're there. And if I want to go see them, if I want to go on that adventure, I can. And that's something that I can choose to do. And I don't want the wind. Um, so that's that's one of the things that I, I, and my husband and I are very much alike on where we wanted to live. And my husband, Sean, is from Ontario as well. So we both grew up in Ontario, very heavily treed, um, very much, you almost feel closed in because there's so many dense forests and trees and things like that. London, Ontario, where I grew up, is actually called the Forest City, and it's full of trees. And so when I moved out to Alberta, I first moved out to an area just south of Calgary, which was very open. You didn't see a tree. It was just very much grasslands. And I felt exposed. Being someone who grew up with heavily forested areas around me, as soon as I was driving through subdivisions and there wasn't a single tree, it was just house, 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 house. I'm like, this is strange. So the first place that we had, it was like, okay, it's a little open. It's a little exposed. I love it. It's beautiful. 
but I don't quite feel at home. And so we spent several years looking in the area that we're in now because I said, and he agreed with me, we just want trees. We want to be surrounded by that same, it's almost like a warm hug. You're like, you, you're supported by your environment around you. So we found this beautiful, in it now, a beautiful log cabin out in the woods and we have space and some grasslands for our animals. But I also have the availability to get on my horse or take a hike or whatever it might be. I don't walk. That's a lie. Get on my horse and ride up to the top of the hill <laughs> and, uh, and be able to enjoy that. All of a sudden, it's like you're, you're breaking through the tree line and then you can see this amazing vista. And to me, that's what it's all about. It's not about seeing it out your door every time you, you walk out on your porch or look out your window. It's about the experience of getting there. And I believe that's what life is. You know, it's not about, OK, this is my destination. I'm going to get there. It's what's around me as I'm getting there, because that's just as valuable, in my opinion, to that end point or that goal or whatever it might be. And so to recharge, to, to feel or to relieve stress or anything like that, it's me being at home in an environment that I feel so comfortable in with my animals. And when we film Heartland, I'm very, very fortunate that it's just near my house. It's beautiful landscapes. I feel very uh, calm just by the environment on set, but it can be a stressful day. You know, there is a lot of expectations and we're on set for usually 12 to 14 hours a day. So it's a long period of time. You're with a lot of people. There's about 75 people on set that are constantly in your space. And for me, I'm someone who I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert. Like I can be an extrovert when I need to be, but I'm also, I'm a Gemini, so I'm definitely the sign of twins. I, I like people until I don't like them anymore, <laughs> and then I want to be by myself. Um, so that's the experience I have on set, is that there's so many people, there's a lot going on. It's very demanding. So at the end of the day, I just want to come home, and I want to go sit out in a field, and I want to just enjoy the quiet. Just enjoy the fact that there's these and we have so much wildlife around us too so I'll be sitting out in my horse field and there'll be white-tailed deer walking by and then you know maybe an elk up on the ridge or, or whatever it might be and tons of bluebirds and, and amazing birds all around us and just the sound of the chickadees and the wind rolling through the grass that is my form of meditation and I, I'm not a formal meditator if, if anyone asks me oh do you meditate I'd be like no I don't meditate however what I do to recharge my batteries, to, to calm me down is my own type of meditation. It's my own, uh, self-created just bubble that makes me feel calm and at ease. And, and, and just, I feel so much love when I'm in that situation, you know, I'm sitting there, I just feel so warm and so good, and so grounded that I feel like if I did meditate, that's maybe where I would get to, um, but I, I don't need to in order to get that feeling. So I, I've never gone past that. You know, I'm, if anybody who listens to the podcast would know that I'm, I'm really a bit of a shaman geek, like indigenous healing kind of a geek. And all the shamanic traditions I've read about, one of the very, very early initiation things is not necessarily initiation things, but one they all have in common is they've spent a lot of time in nature just sitting and being present. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. Just sitting there and ob observing. 
and listening and hearing and feeling and seeing. And yeah, it sounds like that's, that's what you do to relieve stress. Yeah, I would say that's, that started from a young age too, because I was actually born and raised in the city, but I had so many outlets. For example, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house when I was young and they lived their house backed onto a big ravine with a forest and so many animals. And I would spend my days with my net and my bucket and I would be down in the pond catching frogs and turtles and whatever else I found. And that was that was my childhood. You know, that's where I really found, and I was always by myself. You know, I, I would prefer kids would say, Hey, come, let's come over to my house and play Barbies. And I'd be like, oh, I'm good. Um, and I just wanted to be by myself, learning, experiencing, absorbing. And I found that other people or other kids at that time almost took away from that. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because we do learn, learn a lot from those around us. But for me, it was about just being there and having no distractions. Whereas I feel like if I had a group of kids poking sticks at dead raccoons, then it's like it takes away from that experience. I'm like, no, I don't I don't want that. I just want to learn and observe and see, oh, there's, you know, uh, a tadpole pond. And OK, so this is really cool. This is how they and I would just learn those things by by seeing it and being there and, and just feeling that. And I think there's so many people, especially kids that are growing up today that are so plastered to their devices. They've got their iPads, their phones, their TV, whatever it might be, that they're losing sight of the natural world around them. And that's a very dangerous thing. And I just, if I could, you know, send a message out or preach anything, it would be get outside, experience what's around you and learn those very vital, learn those very valuable lessons that you can only learn by observing the natural world around you. And I think that it makes you more in tune with human emotion as well, because animals in nature are so subtle. So to be able to, to pick up on that subtlety, humans are, are not subtle <laughs> at all. Um, so you, you kind of learn to read between the lines a little bit more too. Yeah. And I think, I think doing what you do is, is, sitting still in the natural world you know that's that's a an internal practice in itself like it's it's it gives your mind time to quiet down like everybody's so busy these days busy 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 and we're never still and i think a lot of people struggle with being still you know what i mean and and you mm -hmm. think about all these devices all they're doing is just flooding you with dopamine and we are not we are not wired to have that much dopamine in our bodies. And I, I, re I read a really good book recently called Dopamine Nation about how dopamine works in the body. And, you know, you have a set level of dopamine and then, of mm -hmm. course, you have things that, that cause your dopamine to spike. And then when that goes away, you come back down to your set level. Well, if you have a lot of dopamine all the time, your set level is really low. And this is where depression comes from. Mm -hmm. Your dopamine is really low. And so unless you're getting a bing or a tweet or a whatever, eating something or whatever, you are really, really blur. And the thing that raises your set level of dopamine is pain. Hmm. Like pain, emotional pain, physical pain, physical exertion. Um, you know, the book talked about ice baths. Um, you know, cold plunges, that sort of thing. That's really good for dopamine because it's a 
shock to the body. And I list, after I read that book, I listened to a, a podcast called The Huberman Labs. This guy is a Stanford University uh, neuroscience professor. And he talked more about in this podcast was about how you need to do things to your body that's hard for it because that, that resets your dopamine. So, you know, if you've got depression, they always say you should exercise. And that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why, but yeah. Hmm. It's, it's very interesting to, to think about all the different things that people go through and how different we all are. And I'm not about to understand what someone else does in their day. And I think that the best thing we can do is just learn or experience what works for us, what makes us happy, what makes us sad. And like I've said so many times in this podcast already, it's like you have to gravitate towards what makes you happy, not what makes you anxious or sad. And and I think just what you've explained there is that what makes people anxious or sad is an easier way to spike that dopamine. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to head towards that because that gives me an instant energy. It might be a bad energy, but it's instant. And it's that, it's kind of that, like a drug user feening that, that hit, right? It's like, no, I, I just need to feel a certain way. And that's why I also think that a lot of these video games and television shows and things like that are, are very, very harmful to, well, kids and adults, but especially to the ki- the minds of kids, because they're experiencing that um, kind of mind numbingness by watching these and getting these spikes and, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fight this guy and I'm going to kill this person. And and they're getting this this very unnatural, instant release from taking part in this. Whereas when you're out in nature, you don't have those spikes. You know, you don't have those instant like, oh, I'm going to come around the tree and all of a sudden a cougar is going to jump out and attack me. That is a possibility where I live, but <laughs> I don't think about that. You know, it's it's not something that's on my radar. I'm just, I'm aware. I'm very aware of my surroundings and I'm I'm cautious, but I'm I'm also very just much at ease in this environment. Whereas you take me and put me in the city, I get my back up. Mm. And I'm, I'm not, I don't know if it's a, if I would get into the world of anxiety, but I'm not myself and I'm not going down a path of the things that make me feel good. I'm going down a path where I'm like, I don't feel comfortable. I don't want this. And the exact opposite happens to me when I go take a walk in the woods. I feel grounded. I feel centered. I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. You mean when you get a ride on your horse? Yes, that exactly. I don't use my legs. We already found this out. <laughs> but but it is. It's one of those things that it's just this this calming idea that I gravitate towards. And I did. I lived in the city f- for my whole youth, but I was very lucky to have those outlets. I did have horses from the time I was four until I moved out here. So I spent all of my time that I wasn't at school out at the barn. And I would say, you know, let me clean out all the stalls. Let me clean pens. Let me catch horses. Let me feed. Just allow me to live in this environment because this is what makes me feel happy. And I was so lucky to have that because there was lots of kids that were my age that didn't have that outlet. And you could tell, you know, they were anxious. They were feeling under pressure. They were feeling all these things because when they went home after school, they were either on their devices or they were whatever it might be, it didn't feel right for them. And so all through my youth, I had those outlets. I could go down in the woods and find 
critters. I could go out and ride my horse. I could just spend time in the environments that that made me feel whole. And I've continued that through my whole life, and I'm I'm very fortunate of that. Um, so I think that it's it's definitely gravitating towards what makes you happy and steering away from the things that don't. You know, I love what you said there about, you know, you've had horses all your life. I was going to mention that watching you on the show Heartland, you know how to be around a horse, especially if you're in a scene with someone else who might not know how to be around a horse, but they're pretending they know how to be around a horse. The difference to me is is it's it's black and white like a lot of people might not pick it up but for me i mean just your demeanor around a horse you can't i don't think you could act that because it's so unconscious you know it's just something that you 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 learn how to do over a period of time you know I would definitely agree with that, seeing a lot of actors that have come onto the show that have no horse experience, and then the opposite, where someone shows up that's been around horses, and you just instantly are like, oh, yeah, they're comfortable. They they understand the space. They understand, because there's a lot of people, like you say, that are acting like they know horses, but in reality, they don't. And that's really not something that you can pretend. You can pretend to be happy. You can pretend to be sad, but you can't pretend to be comfortable around something when you're not. And it's very apparent right off the bat when they get there. And we've, we've shaped storylines to, to meet that understanding. Mm. So we've had characters that have come onto the show that were supposed to be great horsemen or whatever they they were supposed to have a real connection and we've kind of slowly scaled back on that because we understood that it's just not going to resonate with fans because you can't act that you just can't and then on the other side of things we've had characters that have come onto the show that maybe weren't going to be involved with the horses but they had a real connection with them and we said okay let's build on this let's create more of this and I do believe that that has contributed to the longevity of the series because people people recognize that. They they see that and they go, oh, okay, that's that's cool. I can see that there's an actual connection. This is not just a a complete made-up story. There's There's something real there. And that's why we watch TV. We don't watch TV because it's fake. We want to be drawn in. We want to believe it. We want to we want to live with those characters and know that they're real people. And I think with with my social media and the fact that people have followed me outside of Heartland as well and see that I live this lifestyle and that I I don't just go home to my downtown condo. I actually go home and do the same things that I've been doing all day and pretending to do. I come home and I do my chores and I feed my horses and um, it just brings that realism to it. I And I believe that's what really resonates with people. Yeah, I, I could definitely... I could definitely see it. Um, yeah, it's funny what you said about sometimes you have actors come on there and they, and they, uh, you know, they're supposed to be interacting with the horses, but you can tell it's not going to work. I recently had uh, a fellow from England named uh, Ben Atkinson on the podcast, and Ben does a lot of stunt work, things like that. And he, have you ever, you probably don't watch much, you don't watch much TV, so you probably haven't seen Peaky Blinders, but there was a, he was working on Peaky Blinders and there was a character in there, and this guy was a real method actor. And the the character he was playing was this really angry man. And so he would stay in character all the time when he was on set. So he just had this anger energy. And he said the horses hated him. Like Mm -hmm. there was a scene where he was supposed to be riding a horse for quite a long time. 
and and Ben told the the director like get it as quick as you can because that horse is not going to put up with him for very long because because of that that energy you know Oh, I've experienced that too, because there are scenes where I have to be riding into a scene and I'm crying or I'm yelling or there's something going on. And that horse senses that. And instantly you're like, oh, we better do this quickly because <laughs> you can just feel them. You know, their bodies just start tensing up. And so myself, some of my favorite scenes that I've ever done and the most real scenes that I've ever created are with horses because you're not acting. You are just playing off their energy. You are there with them. They're in the moment. They don't know what's going on other than the energy that you're giving them. And so that also works in the sense that because I myself am not a very emotional person. I don't, I don't really have huge highs and lows. I don't cry. I don't like, I'm just kind of, I'm here. I am who I am. And I, I enjoy a lot of things. Um, but I'm not overly dramatic in my own life. Whereas my character goes through those moments where she's crying or, or there's things that happen. And it's interesting for me to see how horses respond to that. Because when I have a scene and I'm, I'm crying and I'm emotional and the horses just soften and they, they fall into me and they, they're, they're concerned. And I don't necessarily, I haven't experienced that with my own horses. I experience when I'm, having a, a really, if I'm really anxious, then the horses definitely feed off that. And I feel that. And the opposite, if I'm just like, Hey, whatever, man, like, let's just have a good day. Then you feel that too. Just like if you have to go catch a horse that doesn't want to be caught and you have five minutes, you're not going to catch the horse. But if you have two hours, you're going to catch the horse right away because it's just like, it's your own body telling them that there's something to worry about here. I need to catch you right away. <laughs> that's going to make, that's going to drive them away. So I do believe that being able to show a very um, emotional side or a exposed side to my feelings on camera has really given me an appreciation for horses as well. Because just to see that softening and to see that, that idea of them going, I'm sorry, what is wrong? And, and on the opposite side, to have scenes where I'm yelling and I've, I've had scenes where I'm in a round pen with a horse and I'm screaming at them and I'm throwing everything out there. <laughs> Their eyes are big and they're going, what the? And so it's, it is interesting as an actor to be able to go into an environment that you are self-creating and you are seeing exactly the direct effects of your mood or your energy on that animal in a space that's that's created right like it's it's a fictitious idea but you're dealing with real emotions and you're dealing with a horse that is wondering what the heck is going on and that's fascinating to me to be able to see that direct connection i have a question for you you said you're not in your life you're not terribly emotional you know and neither am I, how do you cry for a scene? Like if you're not a crier, like if it's not, if it, like I've had therapists try to make me cry and I've had very few of them achieve it because I'm, I've got a, a pretty level of shutdown, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? How does someone who, who spends their life in the middle like me and doesn't have the highs and the lows, how do you get that to come out on camera? Well, that's the Gemini side to me. So my uh. Gemini twin is very good with emotion. <laughs> um, that's a good question, actually. I, I'm not someone who thinks about something sad. You know, I have actors on set that they're like, yeah, when I have to get into it, I just, I think about 
my dog dying or I think about, you know, something really sad. I don't. I don't put my myself in that space. I I will actually just think about crying. Like I will just think like I I want to cry right now. And then my body can kind of just lead into it and take me there. And it's so much easier for me to cry with a horse than it is with a human. Really? Because again, you're talking about that judgment, right? As humans, we don't want someone to judge us. But with animals, you can be so open. Yeah, you let and, them in. Yeah. And so, and, and horses, they will make me cry easier just because I'm like, you're just so amazing. Like, you're just, I'm just so, so it's more of a, I wouldn't say a sadness, but an openness. And I'm not really crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because the moment is just so beautiful, I guess, if you want to get that cliche. But it's just this, the human emotions that you can tap into when you need to. And so it's a good question. I don't really know how I cry on you. It just happens. It's just me thinking about crying and it happens. And what about the yelling? What about the what about the uh, the anger? How do you how do you go about harnessing that? Same thing. Really? You know, I, I think it's just as humans, we have so many different emotions accessible to us. Whether we choose to use them or not is up to each individual person. But we all have them. You know, it's just like we have this full spectrum of colors that we can use. And when we paint this picture, we can decide what colors we choose. So for me, it's it's the highs and the lows might not happen in my everyday life, but that doesn't mean I don't have them. It doesn't mean that if I don't need to, I can't tap into them. And so I, I just believe as an actor, it's learning how to access our full range of emotions. And if I don't use them in my everyday life, that's that's fine. Maybe I don't need them in that moment. But when I'm acting, then I dive in and I say, okay, so let's experience these different emotions that I have access to. Did, is that something that you were taught, like like acting classes, things like that? That's a good question. And the reason um, the reason I asked that is because we started watching. Rob and I started watching the TV series one time that um, I think Michael Douglas is in, and he's an acting coach. It's called it's called the Comiskey Method or something like that. And a lot of it was about having access to your emotions. Not it wasn't about can you act. You know, can you play a part? Mm -hmm. But can you have access to yourself? And it was fascinating. It was like a therapy session. I thought it was really cool. That just the one episode mm -hmm. I saw. Yeah. No, I I strongly believe in that. And I also believe that good actors aren't acting. Good actors are just tapping into their own natural human emotion. They're not trying to to put on a role. They're just absorbing the role. And for myself, I'm so lucky that the role I play is very similar to who I am in real life. So I don't have to stretch that far. If I was playing a role that is very outside of my world of what I know, I would have to, I'd probably go and hang out with someone that's similar to that character yeah. so that I can kind of understand what makes them tick. Because for me, and over the years too, 15 years on a show, I believe that I've become more like my character and my characters become more like me because it just happens. They naturally morph together. It would shake and you, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm, for yeah. sure. And I've learned so many different things on set that I've brought home to my own life and then vice versa. The writers will see things that I do 
on my own time and they'll write it into the show. So it's kind of become this, this morphed world. Um, but I think that, that yes, I definitely learned from a lot of people around me. I started with theater. So theater is very putting all of your emotions out there and it's very dramatic and you're overemphasizing everything. And I, I believe that that was a good place to start for me because it allowed me to feel comfortable in front of a, a large group of people and exposing myself. Because when you're acting on a stage, you have that instant feedback. You have people that are sitting there watching you just completely open yourself up to them and be instantly judged as well, right? So I think that that was a really good starting place for me. And I was young. I was eight years old when I started in theater. And then I continued that for a while until someone said, you know what, you're really good at this. Maybe you should go get an agent in Toronto. And I was 11 at that time. Um, So then I started going down and training. And it's a a completely different thing when you're doing film acting as opposed to stage acting, because now you're internal. Now you're not using your body as much. You're using your eyes and your, your feelings inside to convey that. Because if you're if you're going out there and being very grand with all your gestures, nobody's going to buy it. Right. So it's now learning how to take all of those things that you learned on stage and making it subtle, making it come within, because when the camera's right close on you, they can they can read all of that human emotion just through your eyes, just through a slight smile, just through all of those things that you have inside. You don't have to do a whole lot. They just come out. So I think for that part of my life, starting in theater and then scaling back was good for me. Whereas some people, they find it really hard to scale back those those human emotions or those exterior um, gestures. And when they've been theater acting for too long and then they try working in television, it's really hard for them to learn how to, to keep everything a little bit more subtle. Um, so that's that was kind of my journey in the acting world. And I, I was surrounded by some really great people and mentors that... Um, helped me harness that for sure. But I think too, the fact that I was young and when you're young, you're so much more open to um, just ideas around you and and that kind of thing as well. You're more absorbent. Wow. You know what? I got a question here that's not on your list that I want to know about. So some of our listeners wouldn't get this, but we'll explain it to them. Cowboy hats are a very personal thing. And everybody shapes their own hats differently. Do you shape your own hats? I got a guy. <laughs> yeah, you got a guy. Amazing they'll, job. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> like if you, watch, if you watch Yellowstone, every one of Kevin Costner's hats is a different shape. And people who wear hats all the time do not have different shaped hats. They're all the, they're different mm-hmm. hats. They're all the same shape. And your hats are all the same shape, whether it's the black one or the straw one or whatever. I notice stuff yeah. like that. And yeah, yeah, you got to go. I'm glad you do because uh, I, so the very first, I'm going to say four or five seasons of Heartland. So if you go back and watch some, you'll notice the cowboy hats. And I was not in the Western world like I am today. Mm. So I grew up I first started riding Western when I was really little, but then I started taking English hunter jumper lessons and I was in the English world for a long time. Then I went over to just kind of casual trail riding. So I bought a Western saddle and, and was in that world, but not really in that world. And when I moved out West, I started hanging around with 
genuine cowboys, you know, people who were on working ranches, things like that. So I started to pick up a little bit here and there. And then when I met my husband, which in the the Heartland world, we were in season four and he is a cowboy. And he looked at my hat and he said, you got to do something about uh, that thing. <laughs> t- tell, him, <laughs> so, tell your husband good job because I would, I would have done exactly the same thing. So then fans of the show, if, if you go back and you see those first four seasons, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I see the difference there. And then after season four, we started to get hats shaped a little better, get better quality hats because they really do. They make a huge difference. And it is. It's like a signature of a person, right? It's it's like that look is, and it doesn't mean that you can't change your look over the years, but you're usually consistent with that look for that time. And I find that now when I meet people, <laughs> I'm going back to that judgment because I always judge people, but I will, I'll look at their hats and their boots. And if they have a brand new pair of cowboy boots on that you can tell has never left the living room, I judge them by that. (laughs) And I go, okay, that's interesting. So you're wearing a brand new pair of boots. So now my mind is constantly going and it's saying, well, did you just buy the boots or have you had the boots for four years and you just don't do any work? Or, you know, like I'm, I'm someone who wants to see dirt on someone else's clothing because that to me is a sign that they're not afraid to just dive in. And I remember, um, if we're getting on the personal side, I I dated a few people before my husband. And one of the dates I went on, I went off roading with this guy that I thought I really liked. I knew him from high school. And I was like, oh, I've always had a crush on this guy. I'm going to pick him up. I picked him up in my truck and we're going to go like driving in the mud. Well, I get stuck and I jump out to like push the truck and he won't get out of the truck because he's got his brand new white running shoes on. <laughs> And that was like this instant moment in my mind. And I was like, I thought I really liked this guy, but I can't be with someone who doesn't want to get their shoes dirty. Like it was just this, this moment of realization of the people you gravitate towards. And it's very interesting for me that that opened up my eyes to, to look at not just because, oh, someone's good looking or they're this or they're that, or they're driven or they're motivated. There's so much more to it. And I feel like you need to be on the same page with whoever you're with, whether it's a partner or a best friend or whoever it might be, you have to have enough in common that you enjoy the experiences with them and that they enjoy the experiences with you. Um, so that's just kind of a sidebar on that. But I do. I think that we are we are products of our environment, but we also enjoy matching energies with each other. And and if someone's so far away from the things that you like to do, then you're not going to enjoy your time with them either. So that's that's a huge sidebar from cowboy hats, but well, that just kind of goes. That's kind of the same thing as cowboy hats because like you can't, you, 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 could, you couldn't be with someone who wore a bad hat. Um, for, you know, we have people, we have listeners all over the world. So if you, if you, if you're not in the hat, if you're not in a, in a, in a in the hat space, think of, you probably think, well, cowboy hat's a cowboy hat. Think about a suit is a suit. But you can tell the difference between a five thousand dollars suit and a blue, uh, a powder blue suit with a ruffly shirt, like they would have wore at the prom in like nineteen seventy five. Exactly. To you know, to someone coming out of the jungle who's never seen white man before, they go, "Okay, they're both suits." But you can tell the difference between an Ita- five thousand dollar Italian suit and a and a. Two hundred fifty dollars suit from nineteen seventy. So yeah, hats are hats are very mm-hmm. much the same. And I'm I'm a hat snob. I have 
very nice hats and I appreciate really nice hats. And you, my friend, have very nice hats. So, <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> good job. I get, a bit, I get a bit, better get back to Amber's real questions here. <laughs> what quality do you admire most in a person? It's an interesting thing. Apart from a good gonna, hat. <laughs> that's true. Um, because there's a difference in what I admire and what I like to be around. Um, so we, I don't want to get too in depth here, but I admire someone who has strength. I admire someone who is driven, who's motivated, who is, uh, a real go-getter. I really admire those qualities, but what I like to be around is kindness. So I find that I, I am drawn to people that are motivated and strong and, um, maybe stubborn, <laughs> you know, things like that, because I feel like they encourage me. They make me want to, to do more, to be inspired. Um, but I'm very drawn to kindness and calmness. And I say that because I find in my life, the people I gravitate towards are very kind people and very calm, level-headed people. But I also admire people who are not the opposite of that, but are, are very strong in their, their ideas and the way that they kind of, um, just move their life forward. And so there, there's a bit of a balance there for me, for things, qualities that I admire and qualities that I like to surround myself by. So that question is a little, it's, it's not direct for me. Um, but I would say above all, I just, I, I like someone who is good hearted and honest. So I find that once you have that, then all those other qualities can can come on board with that. I'm going to hazard a guess here that your husband is both driven, strong, and kind. You would have that exactly he right. He ticks all those boxes, doesn't he? He does. He's and calm. Sean is one of the most level-headed, kind people I've ever met. But he's also extremely motivated and very strong. So, yes, maybe I, I found the perfect person for me because he does check off all those things. How'd you guys meet? We met at an event, actually. I was doing a signing and his parents were running the event. And so he was just kind of the runaround guy and he was, oh, go get this, go get that. And I could see that, you know, he was taking it all in stride. He was just very much like, OK, I'll get it done. No worries. Yep, I got this. And at the end of the weekend, I just said, you know, I really appreciate everything you did this weekend. Um, you made it run smoothly. I felt very comfortable. Um, here's a couple tickets to a Gord Bamford concert, actually, that was in town. I said, I had a couple extra tickets. I'm going with my mom. If you want to come with someone, you know, that's great. I, I, it wasn't anything more than a thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and so I picked my mom up and then I get a message from him. He said, hey, I'm just down the road at this hotel. Do you mind swinging by and picking me up? Yeah, no, no worries. Cause I'd already told him that I was grabbing my mom. And so I pulled into the hotel, grabbed him. I said, Oh, you're not bringing anyone. He said, no, I asked around, but nobody wanted to come. I think that's a lie. Um, <laughs> so, uh, he ended up coming to this concert with my mom and I, and we had the best time and he was spinning her around on the dance floor. He was spinning me around on the dance floor. And it was just one of those things where I wasn't looking for anything. I definitely wasn't looking for a long distance relationship because I had already moved to Alberta and he was living in Ontario. And I said to him, I'm like, you know, I'm not, this is, I, I've tried the long distancing before. It's not something I'm into. 
And we just exchanged numbers and we kept talking and I flew back to Alberta and we were chatting. And about two weeks later, he called me and he said, I'm going on a trip to Ohio um, to, it was Congress actually, that's in Columbus, Ohio, I think. And uh, he said, I'm going on a trip with my parents in our living quarters horse trailer down to Ohio. My mom's got this barrel race and then we're going to um, Congress. He said, I'd like you to come. I was like, I'm thinking in my head, oh my goodness, I barely know this guy. Am I going to fly back across the country and get in a truck with him and his parents and drive 13 hours? (laughs) And I did. That's another thing. One of those things we talked about earlier with doors opening. And I said, I, why not? You know, I why not? So I jumped on a plane. I wasn't filming at the time. So I had the time off. I flew back. I got in a vehicle with him and his parents that I just met. And we, after that 25 hours of driving plus staying together, uh, I got to know them all pretty well. And, and finally I said, you know, like, I really like you, but I can't do this long distance thing. And he just looked at me and he said, I can move to Alberta. And he did. And so that's kind of how that all happened. But it was it was just one of those things that it just felt right. And I talk about moving towards things that feel right and and not being afraid to go through an open door. And that opportunity presented itself. And I said, why not? What do I have to lose? And it was it was a pretty it was pretty memorable experience. And it just felt right. So that's that's how that happened. Yeah. Well, you said the 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 driven and the and the the strong qualities that's that's quite courageous quality especially so what season was that during season four well it was, well, it was actually, actually just, just before season four so um, are you, at I this point him. in time are you like are you Amber Marshall or are you Amber Marshall um I would say well one of the nice things was that Sean had never seen the show mm. so he didn't know Amber Marshall right um and he had, he tells me this now after the fact, but when he heard that this actress was coming and he had to, you know, kind of be the runaround, he had to get this and he had to get that. He said, I was dreading it. He's like, I was picturing this high maintenance actress coming in there saying, I need purple M&Ms and I need this turned down. And I, and he said, you showed up in your camel ball cap and your hair back. And he said, I, and I came, they had a meeting. It was just like a production meeting. And He's like, I fully expected that your people were going to come to the meeting. And he said, here you showed up the day before, you know, full camel, walked in, sat down at the table and took notes. And he said it just kind of was like, oh, OK, this this isn't so bad. <laughs> She'll fit into this whole environment. And I think I kind of took him by surprise a little bit because he had this expectation of this high maintenance actress coming in and he didn't know me, he didn't know my character And then after that weekend and going to the concert with my mom and just having a very relaxed environment, he was like, oh, okay, cool. That, that was not what I was expecting, but I like it. And, and you're right about the whole idea of, of being, um, strong and forward and just putting it out there. And and he did, he's like, you know, I, I, I like you. Why don't you come on a road trip with me and my parents? Um, and so, and I was very much the same way. I was open to it. I was like, yeah, let's do this. And, and I had a lot of fun. And, and still it was that point of that we discussed before where I don't like to 
focus on what might not be. So I was just living in that moment. I'm like, this is a great experience. I get to drive across country with this family that I've just met. Why not? And I wasn't really expecting that, oh, yeah, I'm going to marry this guy. (laughs) You know, we don't think about that. Um, It just kind of one thing leads to another. And then all of a sudden it was I had this great time, but I don't want to have a long distance thing. That's no problem. I'll just move out to Alberta. Well, okay. <laughs> like it just kind of everything all happened at once, and um, I it was exactly how it was supposed to be. I guess that's a great story. Okay, next question for you is, and I love this question. Everybody that I've had on the podcast has chosen this question, which kind of gives you an idea of the quality of people having the podcast. <laughs> what is your relationship like with fear? I. I don't really have a a negative or positive relationship with fear. I'm very neutral when it comes to fear. And I've always been that way. You know, I'm I'm I have no natural fears. You know, I couldn't tell you oh, I'm afraid of spiders, I'm afraid of snakes, I'm afraid of whatever it might be. I don't have anything that's high on my radar, but I'm cautious. So we have a lot of cougars in our area, we have a lot of bears. So when I go out I'm cautious of where I'm going and I'm, you know, I'll look up in the trees or I'll bring my dogs and I'm cautious, but I'm not afraid of them. Um, I've had people that say, I would never go out in the woods. You've got cougars living right there. That thought doesn't cross my mind. You know, I'm not like, I can't live my life because of this. And it's been really interesting for me as a as a people watcher or as an observer in this last couple years to see how much fear has been spiked in people. And I haven't felt it. I haven't felt it at all. Like I, I have no fears of anything going on because I feel like this is life. Life is about things that are thrown at you. You can't be afraid of them. You just have to learn how to move forward and move past them or through them or whatever it might be. But I'm also a big believer that that is part of life. Fear is, it's around us all the time, whether we choose to buy into it or not. And I could I could live myself locked up. I don't want to get in my vehicle because I might get in a car accident or I'm not going to get on a plane because it might crash or um, I'm not going to walk down the street because I could get hurt by someone. I don't believe that that's living. That's not life. So. For me, my relationship with fear is is a very neutral one. I I can address that it's around us, but I'm not buying into what it gives me. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I just I I think that being aware is important, but being fearful doesn't move us forward. Being aware in bear country is very very. Do you, let me let me ask you this: Do you have round doorknobs on your house? It's funny you say that. (laughs) Um, Yes. And we have had a screen get actually pushed in by a bear because in the summer we just leave our screen doors open. Um, So the bears are around and they're here. And that whole cautious thing, it's like, yeah, you want to be bear aware, but I'm not fearful of bears. In fact, when there's bears around, I'm drawn to them. I just want to watch them. Uh, but I'm not going to walk up and start taking selfies with right. them. So there's there's an interesting... And with bears, um, my husband had a really unique opportunity to go and... Um, he's also a photographer. So he loves just taking photos of wildlife and things like that. And 
um, he went on a trip to the Kutsmatin, which is a, a place way up northern BC that's a bear sanctuary. And they only allow so many people in each year. And so these bears don't have that. We talk about fear and our relationship with fear. These bears have a completely neutral understanding of humans. They're not afraid of them because they're protected. So they're never shot at or anything like that. Um, and they have a ton of food there. So they don't see humans as a food source because actually the main diet that those bears have is grass. So they, they're primarily grazers and then they eat a lot of fish as well, but they don't hunt any big game. They don't hunt deer or elk or things like that. So these bears don't see people as a food source and they don't see people as a threat. So, and he described this whole experience to me and it just gave me goosebumps because he said, you're around these animals and he would get 20 feet from them. And most of the time they were stationed on a boat. So they would be in the water and the bears would just be on the shore. Um, so you have a little bit of, of a buffer there. But he said it's incredible to watch these creatures that have so much strength and power and could just end you at any moment. And the way that they watch you and the way that they kind of almost put on a show because they're not afraid of you and they're not looking at you as a food source. So you're almost just that entertainment for them. And he said they would see us coming and then they would roll on their backs or they would go and play with one another. Or It was like our energy being there was all of a sudden like, oh, hey, guys, check out the human. Like, we're going to go put on a show. Um, so I've adapted a lot of that that he learned from being with those bears. And our bears are very different because they do see humans as food in some cases and they do see humans as a threat. So they are more dangerous. Um, but I think as long as you respect their space and you understand them, there's no reason to be fearful of them. Um, so I, I I love the wildlife in our area. I Even when I got chased into my house by a moose. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I, you got chased <laughs> went, into your house by a moose? Oh, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, there was one evening when I went out to, the dogs were barking and I went out to see what they were barking at. And this mama moose was putting the run on my dogs and they, I was out on the porch and it was dark, but we had the porch light on and both my dogs go running under my legs and into the house. And this moose's head flies because she was chasing these dogs flies up onto the porch into the light and all of a sudden all I saw because it was so dark and then I see this moose's head which they're, they're huge their, their heads are twice the size of a horse and it comes into the porch light and that's that moment when I think that that whole relationship with fear it's like I'm not afraid of moose but in that moment my whole body was just going ah get out of the way get out of the way you know so I just dove into the house slammed the door locked the door and went what just happened? We talked about those that dopamine spike. Mine was through the roof. And but it's moments like that where you just go, okay, so this is the relationship. You know, she wasn't necessarily attacking me. She was chasing the dogs away from her calf. Um, she could have harmed me, but it was just that moment of respect and going, okay, I get it. You are a very strong and powerful animal. And if you want to do harm, you can do harm. But I respect your space and I'm going to stay in my house at the moment and you go on your way. Wow. That's amazing. Um, for you guys listening, when I said before, it might have sounded like a strange question. Do you have round doorknobs? I learned when I was in Canada one time that you don't have like handle doorknobs, you have round doorknobs because the bears can't open the round doorknobs. Am I correct? 
You are correct. That's what yes. I've learned from Canada. Yeah. Okay. So what did you want to be as a child? Let me guess. Uh, a horse girl who's also an actress and plays a horse girl in a TV show. Is that it? You got it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very interesting, the journey that we're put on. And eh, the Journey On podcast. There yeah, we go. Um, it's so true, though, that when I was young, I just wanted to do something with animals. That was my just ultimate dream is I'm going to work with animals. But I was also extremely um, entertaining, I guess you could say, to those around me. So I would constantly put on little shows, songs, dances about me being a farmer or a veterinarian. And there's a song, I should actually look that up. It's on video somewhere of me when I was about three years old, singing how when I grow up, I'm going to be a farmer. And I was very young and I lived in the city at that point. But just that whole idea of me singing and performing for my parents while displaying that I'm going to be a farmer. And that very much has landed me where I am today. And for years, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. You know, once I got old enough, past three years old, when farmer was all the thing to be, I was then going to be a veterinarian because that was the next, you know, qualified thing that I wanted to be. And I started working at a vet clinic when I was 14 because I was also one of those people that I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to experience it. I want to know exactly what I'm getting myself into before I go to school for eight to 10 years. Um, so all through high school, I worked at a vet clinic. And it was there that I realized that I don't necessarily have to be a vet to help animals or to work with animals. And the interesting thing that happened to me there was I realized it wasn't as much about the animals as it was about the owners of the animals and filling their needs. And I worked in a small animal clinic, so I think it would have been different maybe or slightly different if I worked in large animal. But it was all about what the owner thought was best for their animal, not necessarily what was best for the animal. And I very quickly I thought this isn't this isn't where I want to be. I don't want to be in the middle of what's best for something and what someone's paying me to do. I was like, that's not what I want to sign up for. Um, so it was in that time that I was there. Funnily <laughs> enough, that's that scene I saw in, in Heartland in, in the start <laughs> so of season 13. That's the story right there. It's so true. But that's that's what I discovered there. I said, I thought, you know, when you're a little kid and you're like, I'm going to be a veterinarian because veterinarians help animals. That's true. But veterinarians have a very, um, I don't know, limited reach when it comes to doing what they think is best or doing what the owner wants to do or what the owner thinks is best. So I kind of went, OK, that's not really the path I want to go down. I can still have animals in my life and I can still help animals in my life. And then it wasn't shortly after that when Heartland came around. And that, as you know, is kind of the perfect merge of everything in my life coming together in one. And like we discussed earlier, I would have never, ever imagined that this show was still going on 15 years later. You know, I thought maybe a, a season or two, maybe I'll be doing this three years and then then who knows? But um, it's it's definitely been one of those things that it's like, you know, you gravitate to what you love and it just it embraces you with both arms. And I've been so fortunate for that, for sure. It's the longest running uh, TV show in Canada, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty big claim to fame. <laughs> um, I know what I was going to ask you about. I started out the show talking about I got into you through Dan James. How was it when uh, how was it when Dan bought his horses up there? Was that pretty cool? 
pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love Dan's work and I've known him for a few years and being able to have his energy because talk about an energy too. He just he has that calm, grounded energy. And when you see Dan with his horses, his horses have that those qualities that I talked about before, the the strength and the the motivation, but also the kindness and the calmness that resonates off him. And you can tell because his horses just stand there and look at him like he is exactly who they want him to be. <laughs> you know, he, they're just they, his horses admire him so much. And it's really cool to be able to see that and to have that on our show really elevated what we were doing. So a lot of times on Heartland, we don't have the time or the budget to have really good, grounded horses and trainers and people that elevate the show. So we have a whole bunch of horses that we pick from a field and they're all just very quiet, good-natured horses, but they're not liberty horses. They're not um, horses that we can basically have as actors. And when Dan came with his horses, his horses weren't just horses. They were actors. And so when we needed, it was like, okay, so we need this horse to pin its ears and charge at this person. He could do that. Whereas with the regular horses that we use, if we don't have that ability. We can't say, okay, Mr. Horse, can you just pin your ears now and come and stand on this mark? Like it does, We don't have that relationship with the horses we use. And so it really elevated the show. Because now all of a sudden we had these horses that could act the role and that could bring that that realism and that life to it. So it was really cool working with Dan. And I think that he his eyes were open to the film industry, too, because I know he's been around film sets a little bit. But this was sort of the first time that he went start to finish from all of the meetings that happen before we even get on set to, OK, so we want this to happen. And this is the scene is going to be like this. Can your horse go from A to B and then do this and this and this. And he's like, yep, yep, yep. And then you can tell he went home and really prepped that and worked with that horse so that it was going to, it was going to be able to do it. And under pressure, you know, and that's another thing is I'm sure you're experienced in, you can do great things with your horse when it's just you and your horse. Mm. But soon as you add an audience or pressure, all of a sudden it's this whole different level of understanding. And it's, it's you being able to harness what you're feeling because you're going to be just naturally, you're going to be buzzing a little bit more than you would because you have the pressure of the audience. You have that judgment we talked about, all of those things that all of a sudden that horse is going to pick up on. And they know you as as you are at home. They don't necessarily know you as in this different environment. Um, so that was one thing that was really great about Dan, too, is he's done a lot of these shows in public where there's a lot of pressure and he has a live audience. And so coming on to set was very similar to that, just a, a different, um, the thing I said to him too, I was like, it's great. If it doesn't work the first time, we get a second take. You don't get that in a live performance, right? If you're doing a live performance and something doesn't go as planned, you just have to go with it. And that kind of, I've learned from my theater background too. It's like, you just have to keep going and roll with the punches. But on set, if it's not going the way you want it to go, you just stop. And I think that that's very beneficial for someone working with horses, because you, if, if things are getting out of hand, you want to stop that right then and there. You don't want to encourage that, whatever it might be. So if you're rolling with the punches and you're trying to just make it work for a live show, sometimes that horse is picking up and learning things that 
are not necessarily good habits for it. Whereas on set, it's like, okay, no, no, this is not working. This horse is getting, you know, a little too aggressive or a little too in our space or whatever it might be. Let's just stop, reset, take the time to kind of back up and try it again. So I think that it was, it was a really neat opportunity for all of us. Um, and, uh, and I, I hope that Dan gets to come back. I hope that we get to experience horses like that. <laughs> um, cause it just, it really elevates the series and, and makes what we do even more, um, rewarding and realistic. And, uh, I think the viewers loved it as well. Was Kansas with him? Mm-hmm. Was she? Uh, so yeah. yeah, Kansas Carradine. So the daughter of David Carradine, Kung Fu. Um, she's one of the lead yeah. writers of Cavalier. So yeah, she's going to be on the podcast soon. Uh, and nice. I, yeah, she's what incredible. you just said then about, you know, in a live performance, horses can learn, you know, they can learn bad habits and stuff like that. And that's the thing I want to ask Kansas about Cavalier doing that same routine over and over and over. I've seen, have you seen it? Oh I my have, God, yeah. it's amazing, isn't it? And yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's so cool. I can't wait to get her on it. She's been on a circus for a while, so I think she'll be off soon. Hopefully I'll get her soon. Um, how many episodes did Dan horse, Dan's horses appear in? Just one. But yeah, but it's, it takes, and that's a lot of, um, people don't realize how long it takes to, to film just one episode, right? So we typically shoot two episodes at a time together. We call it block shooting. And so we, we treat two episodes as one movie. And that's because of locations and things like that. We want to be able to do all of the scenes on the ranch in one day and all of the scenes in the kitchen on another day. And so we merge those episodes and just pick each location. Just So we might be shooting the last scene of the second episode before the first scene of the first episode. So it's all just for moving gear and people and that kind of thing. Um, so with Dan's horses, he was on set probably four full days of filming. Um, but he was there for a few weeks doing rehearsals and, and different things like that as well. Cause there's a lot that goes into it behind the scenes before we ever even get on set. We just have so many different meetings and go to each location and make sure that ground is going to be good and make sure that there's, you know, not something that could be a hazard or if they want to put the camera on this hill. Okay. So how are we going to build track to put the camera up there? Or is it uneven? Does the grass need to be cut? Like there's so many little things that are decided ahead of time. Um, just to make it go smoothly on set each day too. Um, oh, while you were talking, there, I was going to ask you something about Dan's horses. What the hell is it? Um, so is that's what I was going to ask you. Is season fifteen out yet? It is in Canada. It is in Canada. So it already aired. Um, there was just ten episodes in the season, so they've already aired in Canada. And then it usually takes a little while before it gets to other countries. Oh, okay. So it's uh, so you know. That, so it will be on my Netflix here at some point in time. It should be. If you're only at season thirteen, then it might take a year or so. Oh, but really? It should be it eventually. Huh. Um. Oh, I totally got lost then thinking about that. I was I was going to ask you something else about dance horses. So Nikki Flandre normally is she? Does she help with you guys mm-hmm. a bit? She's incredible. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. Yeah. So she she learned from yep. Dan originally, and um, that's. That's the first kind of um, relationship with Liberty that I ever had. And that really opened my eyes. Um, So I think it was back in season three or four. 
uh, I can't remember now. <laughs> they all kind of run together. Uh, but Nikki came to set with her horses and we started an entire season. So season five of Heartland, for any of the viewers watching that are interested in Liberty, that was kind of an entire journey that my character did from the start of the season to the end of the season. And there was 18 episodes in season five. Um, and so that's where my character got to go on the full Liberty journey with horses kind of start to finish. And for myself, that was really cool because I personally got to go on that same journey that my character was going on. So as my character was learning, so was I. And I would go out to Nikki's ranch on weekends and say, teach me what you know. Like, I just, I just want to learn this. And so then by the end, by episode 18 in season five, I was able to do pretty much all that stuff because we do all have stunt doubles and I will put that out there because people always ask. We have very talented people that come in and, you know, do anything that our insurance companies would deem dangerous. And Liberty was in that, you know, they said, no, this is a little too outside our comfort zone. This is a little dangerous. Um, and so by learning that on the off time, I was able to allow myself to do it on camera as well, because I'm like, well, I'm doing this on my weekends, you know, <laughs> why don't you let me do it here? And so throughout that entire season, my character was learning and I was learning. And so then at the end, there was this, um, it was called the Dark Horse Audition, but it was basically like a Cavalius staged idea. And I got to do almost, I'm going to say 99.9% .9 of all of it. Um, and that was really cool for me because it was, again, things that I had been learning over the season, I now got to show all my friends and the other actors and the crew that were there that, here guys, like, this is kind of my last, like, presentation of everything I've learned. Um, so that that was a very memorable season for me. And I feel like I I had a lot of growth in that season and I owe a lot of that to Nikki for sure. Have you messed with a bit of that with your own horses? I have, but the thing I find with my own horses is especially when I'm working all day long and you might feel this too. If you do a clinic all day long, you come home, you, you might be different than me, but I don't really want to work with my own horses when I come home. I don't want to put that energy into it. I want to come home and just either jump on and just go for a nice quiet ride or just sit in the field and just be there with them. I don't want to be going through an experience that might cause me to be frustrated. And I find that when learning a new thing and teaching horses a new thing, I myself become frustrated easily. I'm like, why, why isn't this as easy as it was before? Why, why aren't you getting this? Or, and that's just something that I've been my own, I've been working on with my own self because it's like, I need to learn how to just let go of that frustration and not have the expectations that I have with other horses that are already trained. Right. So that's, that's my biggest issue is that every day, all day, I work with horses that are incredibly trained and then I get home and I'm like, all right, I got to do this now. <laughs> I have to put in the time. I have to be that person. Um, so, no, I would say I've done a little bit of liberty with my own horses, mostly just like teaching them to bow, to lay down. to. Um, but I find that I'm just not in the right headspace when I get home from work to dive into that myself. And really what I should be doing is on my off time, like now I should be reaching out to people like Nikki and 
learning more with someone who can help me and and to take that pressure off instead of me just trying to do things and figure it out on my own. But in Alberta, it's minus 25 today. And (laughs) that also doesn't make me want to be outside or even in an arena or hauling or whatever it might be. So it's, it's this fine balance of, of, again, the things that you enjoy and the things that you're motivated to learn. And for me, maybe when Heartland's over, I'll dive into it a little bit more. But up until this point, I've just kind of enjoyed being present with my horses and not having any expectations, not having anything that I'm like, yes, we're going to do this or I want to learn this or anything like that. Speaking of when Heartland's over, is there a season 16? <laughs> we don't know yet, but it it looks promising. We're, Heartland is just renewed year by year. So this isn't any different than any other year. Uh, we always leave the season not knowing if we're going to come back again. And then usually in March, beginning to mid-March, they say yes or no. Um, so it, it has to do with a lot of different factors. We're funded by the CBC, which is a government-run organization. So they have to check their budgets and how much money they have to go forward and what shows make the most sense to go forward. And Heartland is an expensive show to film just because you are dealing with horses and the elements and being outside, as opposed to a show that's primarily in a studio where you can control the environment, you can control the lighting, the weather, the all of that, and you don't have to travel as much. So all of our sets are within an hour of Calgary, but we might be moving sets each day. Mm. So that in itself is very time consuming and expensive. Um, so, but with all those things being said, it's still a very well received show and I believe people are still enjoying it. So that's, that kind of balances out all those other things that I mentioned. Well, hopefully in March you get a, get a, an exciting phone call. Mm-hmm. So how do, um, how do people find out more about Amber Marshall? Uh, well, I hope that you've learned lots about me today. <laughs> Just this kind of, I, I love this environment of just a casual conversation because I feel like you learn so much about someone when you're just chatting and it's very different than uh, a more generic interview where it's like question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Because a lot of times I feel, and I've had a lot of different interviews over the years, but I feel like the people asking the question are just asking the question for the sake of it's on their sheet and they have to ask it as opposed to genuinely diving into conversation where one thing just leads to another. So thank you very much for having me on your podcast, because I do feel like this is a conversation that people might enjoy listening in on. You know, it's just one of those things, like I said before, it's like, um, I don't like to push myself on people, but if they want some insight or they want to join the conversation, then this is a great way for them to do so. Um, so hopefully they enjoyed that. Another way you can find me is my website, which is just ambermarshall.com and social media. My, um, Instagram is kind of my main meat and potatoes. It's where I spend most of my time. And, uh, that's Amber underscore Marshall underscore farm. And, (laughs) um, that's, yeah, that's the best way to find me and, everything that kind of relates to what I love and what I'm doing. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining on the for joining me on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on here. I love the conversation and hopefully people picked up just a, a bit of something that I'm I'm always on about that it's just believing and being open to stuff, you know. I I Having having that positive outlook and being open to opportunities and saying yes to opportunities, and you you've most certainly done that. And look where you ended up. Yeah, 
No, I, I fully believe that. And I, and just quickly going back to the fear topic as well, I think a lot of people are just afraid, you know, they, they don't like the unknown and that makes them afraid of it. So when that door opens, they second guess it too much and then the door closes and they go, well, the door's closed. You know, <laughs> I second guess that. Um, so it's having that, that neutral relationship with fear that allows you to go forward and allows you to, to let yourself through that door. Um, and it, that can be a challenge. And I think that it's, it's pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone that gives us the most growth. And then in turn, the most satisfaction, because really that's, that's what it comes down to. It's like, does this make me happy? Am I satisfied after I do this? And it's not that end goal. It's the journey there. And I believe that so strongly. And I think so many people have blinders on because they're just looking at that end goal and, well, I can't get there. I can't get there. That's, that's never going to happen for me. But it's actually the journey there that is the most rewarding. And then in the end, that creates you being in a place where you can accept and enjoy that final destination or, or whatever we think that we were gearing towards. Um, it's, it's all conditioning us and building us into the person that we want to be in that end goal. I think those are some very wise words and a good way to finish up the podcast. So once again, thanks for joining me. It's been a great, great time chatting with you. And like I said, hopefully you uh, get a great phone call in March and we get to see more of Heartland. Well, thanks again for having me on the show. And uh, I'm really intrigued with, with this podcast and everything that you've brought to the table too. So I will definitely be listening. Okay. Thanks so much. And for everybody at home, thanks for joining us on another episode of the journey on podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Journey On podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 650 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.